Hey everyone, welcome to episode 148 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode was recorded live at Out of Yosemite. I was lucky to be invited as an instructor and podcast host by the gracious Out of Chicago team. They put together a fantastic lineup of instructors, activities, presentations, and excursions. Students and instructors were given the opportunity to interact and learn from each other in the birthplace of modern landscape photography, the Yosemite Valley. It was awesome, man. Ansel Adams' son and daughter-in-law were there, as well as uh, two of Ansel's former assistants, Alan Ross and John Sexton. We had an all-star list of instructors spanning several decades and styles of work, from film experts to the latest time-lapse and digital masters. It was such an honor to be a small part of it. On the final night of the conference, I had the wonderful privilege to host a live podcast in front of about 40 people. Our panel included some fantastic photographers, Colleen Minnick, Charlotte Gibb, Michael Fry, and Alex Noriega. We covered a wide variety of topics, including how to find and apply inspiration to your photography, how do we bridge the divide between the old school methods and the new school methods of landscape photography? Why do you make photographs? What are the positive and negative impacts of bringing large groups of people to the national parks? What do you do when you're not photographing and how does that influence your photography? What are the pros and cons of shooting alone versus groups? And what should students do after the conference? And I think people listening will get a lot out of that even if they weren't at the conference. Over on Patreon this week, we have something special for listeners. Before the conference officially began, the instructors had a wonderful dinner and many drinks to celebrate the start of the conference and to get to know each other. After this dinner, Colleen Minnick, Fr- Franca Gabler, Michael Shanebloom, and Alex Noriega joined me for a trunk podcast recording. It was amazing. Just head over to patreon.com slash f-stop and listen, or check out the liner notes of the podcast for the link for more information on how you can support the podcast and get awesome bonus content like this drunk recording. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to the live podcast. And me, by live, I mean recorded in front of a live studio audience. Well, we are here at uh, Out of Yosemite with Out of Chicago, and we're at the conclusion of an amazing photography conference here put on by the amazing uh, Out of Chicago team. And I'm here with some fantastic instructors and friends. We have Colleen Minnick, Charlotte Gibb, Michael Fry, and Alex Noriega. Let's welcome them to the stage. So we have a really fun topic list that we're going to cover this evening, and hopefully we'll get to all of them. And if we don't, all well. So uh, that's just how it goes. So we're just going to dive right in, and I'm going to start with Colleen. How do you find and apply inspiration in your photography? All right. So uh, I find inspiration anywhere and everywhere. And so I... I obviously enjoy looking at other people's photographs and, and trying to reverse engineer how people are doing their photographs to get ideas. I don't, I, I, 
I'm going to talk tomorrow about stealing like an artist, um, not stealing from an artist. So I don't want to copy people, but I definitely want to get inspiration from people's photographs. Um, but for me, um, there's really no line between creative photography and creative life. So everything that I do in my life, everything that I see in, in my life, in my journey, becomes a source of inspiration. So, I mean, that could be art, it could be music, it could be movies, it could be literally anything and anything, every, everything and anything. If it inspires me, I'm going to try and feed my brain that information because it, ultimately it's going to end up coming out in my photography. Um, so we had a, I was an ex-software engineer and we had a term, um, GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. And when we built software applications, if you put bad data in the application, it would become a bad application. And so I, I feel the same way when it comes to inspiration for our photography. If we're filling our brains with, with inspirational, fun, exciting things, then that's what's going to come out in our photography. So That's great. Charlotte? Yeah. Hey, yeah. So um, I take my inspiration just from about everything I do these days. Um, I am a photographer right now, but I'm basically been an artist my whole life so I do a lot of other things besides photography and I do music um, I write um, I sing and I look at lots of different kinds of artwork I love to go to museums and look at any kind of medium so my inspiration comes from the world and actually I have to say that this this conference has been really inspiring because I've taken a lot of inspiration from the students and how they see things and there's so many people that see things completely differently than I see them. And when I look in the back of these cameras and I go, wow, you know, I would never think to look at that and frame that up. And that inspires me. So there's, um, there's a lot of energy to be taken from other people who are creative like you. And when you have these kinds of groups, I find it very, very, very energizing. So thank you, you guys. Can I recommend that um, Charlotte sings us a song to conclude the... <laughs> I love that idea. Okay, good. That's yeah, not going to happen. I'll second that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Back up on this. Michael? So uh, I'm going to second uh, what Colleen and Charlotte said. You know, I get inspiration from lots of places like, like both of them. Uh, I've gotten a lot of inspiration this week from all the participants and all the other instructors. You know, lots of inspiration from just seeing the presentations by fellow instructors here uh, and just sharing ideas. And, um, and kind of in a different note, I get a lot of inspiration from nature. You know, so I get a lot of inspiration from just being out in nature, the places, seeing beautiful things, the weather, changing weather, et cetera. Nice. Alex? Oh, well, the good thing about going last is that I can just say I second everything you said. And Michael hit the last point that I was going to hit, nature itself and actually light. Just sometimes I'm feeling uninspired and just being out there and seeing some great composition appear or some great light happen, that can inspire me. Um, actually, what I'm not doing kind of inspires me. So I've been in the desert for like a month and a half. And then coming here and seeing all of like Charlie Kramer and John Sexton's tree photographs. Now I really want to photograph trees. So... I'm just kind of, I haven't done that in a while, and seeing some really good tree photography has made me want to get back into that, so, and also, you know, books, film, even video games, any other medium where you can see sort of environments and light, uh, that always inspires me too. Awesome. I'm really curious about how your, each of your photography uh, has evolved over time and why you've chosen to go in the direction that you have. 
I want to start with you, Michael. My photography has changed and evolved so much over my photography life. I actually started as a wildlife photographer. That was my primary passion and my main focus early on in my photography career. That's the, my, the first photos that I ever you know, sold, licensed, were wildlife photos. And um, I sort of evolved into doing more landscape photography. I mean, I, I did landscapes and, and all kinds of nature subjects all along, but I kind of shifted from doing wildlife more into landscapes and, and uh, other, other nature subjects that don't run or fly away. Um, because I, I think partly it was just frankly sort of frustration. You, you can be doing wildlife photography and it's just really easy to get totally skunked uh, day after day. Um, and, but you know, always with nature as a primary focus. In the 90s I started doing some rather wild nighttime images on film where I would do uh, light up trees, cactuses, rocks, rock art at night with flash, with uh, wild colors. I mean, I'd put gels on the flash and, and all kinds of multicolored stuff, make uh, a series of saguaro cacti, all different colors, and all, all different shades. Um, and that was like a totally different direction for me, just trying to it got to a point where I was just sort of a little stuck. I think everybody's been there sometimes, and I was just trying something new, and that really sort of struck a chord, and I did that. And then evolved into doing more just daytime landscapes, which is really mostly what I do, but I do a lot of nighttime stuff still, too. So I don't know, you know, just all over the place, I guess. But um, but I'd, I just like to explore different paths and always with nature as the primary focus and always interested in conveying some kind of a mood and, and capturing light, whatever uh, sort of different way I might do that. What about for you, Charlotte? Well, I got my start in journalism. Um, I really enjoyed going to places where things were happening and photographing people. And I continued to do that, gosh, even into the 80s and 90s. I loved going to protests and events and photographing social movement. Um, the reason I didn't think I was going to make it as a journalist is because I'm kind of an introvert, and I don't like sticking a camera in people's faces. But going to, going to marches and things were things are happening, it's almost like you're given permission to photograph people. And you, you ask them, may I take your photograph? And they're happy to have their photograph taken. So I, I got into that for a long time, and I loved it. Um, it's the complete opposite of photographing nature. Um, but, you know, going to protests as an introvert is kind of has, takes its toll. So I, uh, I kind of... Um, moved away from that a little bit because it was a little stressful and nature is the antidote to that kind of stress so nature completely is the opposite where you slow down I, mean, I was sitting on a log today with one student we were completely enjoying just like tripping out on this thing that he had spotted at <laughs> this log with this wonderful crack and these knots above it and we were talking about how just the process of creating is the joy in it. 
it doesn't matter what you end up with. Just sitting there and creating a photograph and noticing these things in nature is the antidote to the stresses in life. Um, so that's, that's the big reason why I do it. It's not for, um, I mean, the, the sharing of, of what I do is just wonderful. I love teaching and I love sharing um, whatever I know to help other people along the journey. But the journey is the journey is the purpose. The journey is why we do this. So um, I don't know. My, my photography journey hasn't ended. I don't know where it's going to take me. That's just where it's been so far. Oh, and I forgot to mention, there was a big part in the middle there where I was taking pictures of my kids. Lots of pictures of my kids until they wouldn't hold still for me anymore and put up with it. <laughs> what about for you, Colleen? Yeah, so I initially took up photography as an outlet to my corporate job. As I mentioned, I was a software engineer. I worked for Intel Corporation, and I was working 60, 70 hours easy a week, and it was insane. And so um, I, I hadn't really had a lot of experience in the outdoors. Um, I hadn't slept in a tent um, until 1997, and I picked up a camera in 2001. So it wasn't super outdoorsy, but the camera, like photography brought me to the outdoors, and I found so much peace, kind of like what Charlotte was saying, just so much um, from nature, it just it really calmed me down, and um, I got so I got so excited about photography that I ended up starting to sell my work in 2003. I started getting published in '06, and I had enough um, I had enough income from photography and enough joy from it that um, I left my job in 2007. Um, it'll be 13 years this February, the end of February. Mm. Um, and I was focused, I had built a, essentially a, a viable photography business um, just through outdoor photography, but I had asked a few, a few mentors um, who had been in the industry for some time um, what I could do to be more successful. And the feedback that I got was really kind of interesting. Um, it was one, I'd never be successful as a landscape photographer because the industry had changed so much. And the second was that I would never be successful as a landscape photographer because I was female and I would need to travel alone by myself. Um, ironically, that's exactly what I love to do. But um, I listened to their advice. And so what I did when I came out of Intel in 2007 is I photographed literally everything but the landscape. Oh, I didn't shoot weddings or funerals, which I didn't know was a thing, but I guess it's a thing. So. Um, I, I literally, I photographed everything. I photographed, if, if somebody asked me to make a photograph for them, I said yes. It was portrait photography, it was landscape architecture, it was architecture, I shot jewelry, I shot soccer, I don't, I shot golf, I don't even know anything about golf. Like, and so, um, at, at times, there was, there was some, there was some, there was obviously fun, fun in it, and obviously a lot of learning, you know, as, as you, you know, pick up different domains in photography, but a lot of the times I was just like, wow, gosh, is this, is this, it's really commercial. Is this really why I left my job? Um, serendipitously, I got invited to speak at a conference at the Outdoor Writers Association of America, and when I walked into the conference, I saw 500 people being successful in outdoor communication, outdoor photographers, outdoor videographers, writers, um, just journalism, and I was like, oh my gosh, if they can do it, like, why can't I? And so I dropped all my commercial clients in 2010, and I've been focused on outdoor photography since. And um, as you know, outdoor photography is, is kind of a broad domain. My, over the years, my passion has sort of changed and evolved, and now I'm, I'm more focused in, in water, uh, rivers, lakes, 
um, and, and associated water issues that we're having. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. We don't have a lot of water. <laughs> so um, I'm just getting more and more involved in um, not only m my interest, expanding my interest in water, but trying to connect people with it. The whole reason why I'm a photographer is I want to help people get outside. I know what it's like to feel stuck in a cube, and I just don't want anybody to feel like that. <laughs> I want everybody to be outside and enjoy it and appreciate it and love it and, and help protect it and whatnot. So um, like Charlotte, like my journey I feel is like just beginning. Like I don't even know where it's going, and it's like everything is so exciting, and I'm just really excited to see where where we end up so well what about for you alex well my uh my journey is kind of similar to colleen's but on a smaller time scale 10 years i've only been shooting 10 years and uh like colleen i was brought to nature by photography a lot of nature photographers will tell you that they were already into hiking and the outdoors and then they started bringing their camera with them in order to document it and then it started turning into art um, i got into photography first and I was shooting everything, architecture, portraits, uh, anything I could possibly do. But a road trip out west from Wisconsin, where I grew up, out to California, really inspired me from all the landscapes that I saw. And uh, it was pretty quickly that I decided that that was what I wanted to focus on. And then, so photography brought me to nature. I started learning how to backpack, how to hike, how to get all the right gear and be safe out there, everything you need to know. Um, and then once I had decided to focus on nature, I still was, um, I was kind of starting out with really big scenes. I was working with the night a lot. Um, and over time, I would say I've narrowed down my focus significantly. Like I'm really interested in small, intimate scenes and particular subjects. I have the sky in maybe one out of 10 photos, one out of 20. Um, and like Charlotte was saying at the end of her answer, I don't think that my journey is anywhere near complete. I hope I have another few decades of this, so I really don't know where I'm going. But right now, for example, I'm really into trees and sand dunes. Those are kind of the two subjects that I'm honed in on, but I don't know where I'm going. I just hope that I continue to evolve and never stay exactly the same. I love it. Well, what's interesting about Out of Yosemite is that we have this diverse mix of uh, instructors that are kind of span multiple generations. We have kind of the old guard of photography and Charlie Kramer and Alan Ross and John Sexton um, and Michael Fry and we have the, the younger guys like Michael Shanebloom and Alex and then myself and Colleen and... Did you just call me young? Can, 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 sure. I just, can I just say that I think Alan, Charlie, and John are all old, older than me, so can I just put that out there? And, and where I, do I, I could, fit into this? I could this? be wrong about that. <laughs> Am I like the lost generation here? <laughs> just to be fair, this question was Michael's idea, so... What have you done? But I think, you know, we have an opportunity here uh, because there's so many differences between kind of the modern uh, landscape photographer and kind of the old school method of landscape photography. And I think there is an opportunity to kind of bridge the gap and collaborate. And I'm curious what you guys think. What does that even look like? Like, how do we do that? Michael? Well, I, I mean, I think this is a great uh, start, I guess. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a start, but it's a, a step maybe. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed the the sort of synergy and interaction with, as you say, you know, younger and older generations. Um, you know, I know that that myself and Charlotte and Bill Neal 
and and some of that you know that those, us old geezers um, have have made. I think you were um, just called an old <laughs> geezer, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I've been called that before, Should but not. <laughs> Is that experience? I mean, what's, what's the word? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, we, you know, we, we have, we've certainly made some connections with some, some of the, the younger landscape photographers and so forth, people like Alex, and I haven't met Colleen before, but, but you, Matt, and, and, uh, and, and I've enjoyed that, but in terms of this conference, um, I, it's just, I think it's always good to, to kind of expand your horizons a little bit. So we all have a tendency to hang out with the people we always hang out with, our friends, you know, I mean, that's natural. But you can, you know, if you, you can talk to people and maybe have a little bit different perspective, a different approach. And it's not just necessarily generational, although I, I think that's, you know, that can be a big gap. But um, just, you know, different regions of the country, just different, um, I don't know genres, uh, all of that stuff. To to um, talk to people and learn from people who maybe have a different perspective and different approach, and and you can learn a lot. You can get inspired. You anyway. I think just think it's all really beneficial. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think new ideas, creativity. That it there is no time. There is no age to that. Right. Like we can get new ideas and inspiration from anywhere and everywhere. And you know, for me, it's been really exciting to see some of the new ideas coming from you know people that I consider the legends. I mean, it's it's still happening. Like they're still learning, and that for me is really exciting. Um, I don't I don't want to ever stop learning. And so, but it's also e equally as exciting for the the younger the younger generation with all their energy and their new ideas and putting their new spin on it. And so for me. Like just coming together and just in exchanging ideas, um, I don't I don't think it has any relation to age or, or, or whatnot. But um, I think it's really exciting to sort of respect the traditions, but also how do we put a how do we put a modern twist on those traditions and that legacy that's been left for us? So mm. I think it's really exciting to have all of us together. Well, I think that cross pollination makes the art stronger, and if you look at like the field of music, there was lots and lots of cross-pollination and, you know, inspiration that you take from older forms of art and newer forms of art. It doesn't really matter. We all, we all learn from one another, and that's what comes out of that is, um, you know, on a timeline that, that, that this whole, everybody in this room is going to be creating and creating new work based on the people we've talked to and the inspiration we've taken. You know, so from this room, we're going to be creating new work. There was so much cross-pollination I was seeing today just in a field session of people exchanging ideas and looking. And then we had people like, you know, taking pictures with their phone and saying, look what I took with my phone. And it's like, well, that's fantastic, you know. So we have, you know, all kinds of different ways of expressing our art. And I think it's all going to be the, for the benefit of all of us, every generation. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of morphing now into maybe not your original question, but as far as um, mixing inspirations, I think that's really effective for creating new art. And I'd certainly look to the masters that have been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years for inspiration in my work. I mean, I'm, 
I'm doing a lot of things that they probably wouldn't want to do in Photoshop, like some newer techniques and maybe pushing it farther than they would. But I'm really uh, highly respectful of the slow approach, which was by necessity with film. But what it resulted in was a really high focus on composition, which is probably the most important element of any photograph. And mixing that with modern techniques, like these kind of intimate, slowly created scenes with what you can do now in Photoshop and all the digital tools we have available I think is really interesting and just mixing inspiration from all over I get it from anyone old to young I think that's that's really cool mm. thank you what do you guys think are some of the positive and negative impacts of bringing large groups of people uh, to the national parks and other areas don't all go at once um. <laughs> go for it Michael <laughs> well I think it, it, it's it's always a dilemma Right, so, so I love when people get to experience a place like this, a place like Yosemite. And, you know, I wish, like I wish everybody could have a chance to see Horsetail Fall, for example, which is, you know, just a spectacular natural event. And, you know, as photographers, sometimes uh, photographers like poo-poo something like that because, oh, you know, everybody's photographed it and whatever. But, but some of these things that are like iconic like that are, are just an amazing, are amazing things to see in person, you know, even if you don't even photograph them. So, I mean, I'd love for everybody who wants to to have, be able to have that experience of seeing Horsedale Fall. But first of all, it's a natural event that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. But the park just can't handle the impact of so many people trying to, to come and see it. Um, so it's always a dilemma in, in so many ways with parks and other areas that are, that are sensitive. Um, I, you know, so I, I love the idea of bringing people to a national park and, and people having experiences in amazing places like that. And, and I think that helps to grow people's appreciation of nature, which is, uh, you know, I think a wonderful thing. Um, and there's a balance there that we have to try to strike between giving people opportunities to experience places like Yosemite and protecting the place. Um, and I actually think, you know, that, well, that the Out of Chicago team and Chris and, and the way they've organized this have done a good job of balancing those things so that we're out there photographing, but we're in small groups and we're going to places that we're not going to have a big impact on the environment and so I think you know I think it can be done with some sensitivity and thought to what you're doing yeah I agree yeah I mean it's it's a it's a really difficult dilemma right because my whole purpose for being a photographer is to help people get outside and then once you get there it's like okay there's like millions of people here like uh, <laughs> everybody go away um, no not really but uh, um, but I, I think to echo Michael's um, comments I, I think you know what I hope for I mean I wrote guidebooks and whatnot I want to help people but I want them to enjoy the place responsibly and so you know like leave no trace principles nature first principles which are involved in um, you know, really treading light on, on the location. Um, and yeah, I agree, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to bring like-minded people together and, and educate and talk about these, these types of issues. Um, and I, I think the only way that you're gonna get people to appreciate nature is to get them, to connect them in a special way 
to nature and they can't do that if they're sitting on their couch eating Doritos. So um, we definitely want to get people out there, but I, like Michael said, I think there's a responsible way to do it. Mm -hmm. I can't say it any better than that. Well, I just want to say that you know Yosemite is a really, really big park, and Yosemite Valley is a really small part of it. And um, you know, the the wonderful thing about coming here is if you just get off the beaten path, even just a little bit, there's so much more to see. So I think that a lot of um, I don't think this. I know this that that about 80. I think in 19 or 2018 about you know 80 or so percent of the people who came to Yosemite Valley basically just came to car tour you know and not really to get out and see the park which there's so much more here in the summer you can get up into the high country and it's beautiful um, but you know of course here in the valley it's the biggest attraction but even in the valley if you just get a little bit off there's so many trails that you can you know get off and have the the place to yourself so while I understand um, you know, the, the attraction to the most iconic places to visit, um, I think that we forget to get people out into these little bit more remote places that are just really breathtaking and beautiful and can be appreciated. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Alex? Well, I was just going to say, I think it's a good thing to do it in national parks as opposed to smaller uh, places because national parks tend to have the infrastructure to handle this many people and you have well-established trails to a lot of awesome places to photograph without going off trail in a group and starting to destroy nature so I mean it is a balance but Yosemite is a great place to do something like that and other parks too I mean there's there's so many places you can go that are kind of the main hot spots like for example Death Valley but there are a million places off the trail just a little bit where you can get a true wilderness experience with no one else around so I think these are good places to do it if we're mm -hmm. going to do it yeah I agree I think the infrastructure can typically handle large groups of people in the national park system. And I think that's why it's, I think it's a good place to bring people. So, well, I'm going to ask you guys each to answer perhaps one of my favorite questions uh, that I like to ask myself and other photographers, because I think it can help, it can help inform not only motivation, but also all kinds of interesting things about yourself and your photography. And that is quite simply, why do you make photo photographs? Start with Alex. All right. He's always he's always last. We yeah, should let's start, make start Alex with Alex. Go first. All right, I like it. Thanks, Michael. Um, that really depends on where I'm making the photograph. Um, but I guess if I was to boil it down, it's because the process of finishing it and creating a finished piece that then is able to transport me somewhere and make me feel something personally. Um, is just immensely satisfying. Like the fact that I made it, it's mine, and it makes me feel something. Even though I know every step of how it was made, um, the goal is just to do something that evokes emotion in me, and hopefully that gets reflected to the viewer as well. That's just really satisfying, and that's really what drives me. Every time I make a new photo that I really love, that makes me want to do more. I like it. Why, there are so many reasons. Um, I've always thought that photography is a wonderful activity because it forces you, well, all right, force is a strong word, encourages you to get out of your head and look at the world around you. How many of us spend much of our days just 
you know, kind of in our heads, walking around, doing what we normally do, not really seeing what's in front of us or out there. And photography, photography makes you do that, which I think is a great thing. Um, so it can be, you know, it can be a, a way to get out of your head, a way, it almost it can be a meditation. You get so absorbed in the moment and in and, and looking at the world around you, you forget about all that other stuff. Um, it's a wonderful creative outlet, as Alex alluded to. I love that aspect of it, too, just to, to be able to, to try to create images that please me, that, you know, that satisfies somehow that artistic creative impulse that I think we all have. Um, and, oh boy, um, just, just, but that main thing, I think, for me is just getting out in nature and and having that experience of, of being in the place and focused on the place. And what other activity in the world besides landscape photography encourages you to go to the world's most beautiful places at their most beautiful moments? None, you know, and, and just that, you know, just that I get to go out and see these amazing things because you know, I hate getting up early in the morning, but I'm motivated to because I'm a photographer and, I, you know, I, I want to capture those moments and I don't want to miss something amazing. And, and because I do that, you know, I get to have these amazing experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess I create photographs because I must. I'm just completely compelled to do it. There's no other reason. I've been doing it since I was a teenager and I get this little thrill of, excitement when I look at the back of the camera or you get your film back and it's like woohoo <laughs> you know an idea that you know formed in my head was successful and you get that little endorphin fix you know where you got that you know it worked and it's um it's the act of creating and I do it because I must I would do it if nobody looked at my photographs if it was just for myself and I and all I had to do was just get that thrill of seeing what I saw managed to convey what I felt, um, I would still do it. There's no question. The fact that right now I'm doing it in places that I love and combining it with being outdoors makes it even more satisfying. And then being able to teach other people and see the thrill in other people, like when they when you see the light bulb go off and they go, oh my gosh, I got it. Or when they see something different than you've ever seen and that little thrill I mean that's why I do it it's very very satisfying you know just the act of doing it is satisfying I should also add I really like printing my work and I would do that if nobody looked at my prints because I really love printing my work so mm. yeah so um like yeah like everybody here, I, I have a multitude of reasons why I make photographs. Um, it probably stems, um, if I, if I want to get super over analytical about this, um, I've actually had a lot of trouble growing up um, communicating verbally. Um, I, it actually 
has caused me to become an introvert. I always had sort of a limited vocabulary and I was really concerned about saying the wrong thing and being misunderstood. And so when I picked up photography, it was a way for me to communicate with the world without saying anything. Um, of course, now I've added the writing back into it. So um, the, the photography and the writing have sort of balanced me out. But um, I, I think I make, I make images um, because it's fun, because it's a challenge, because it's an opportunity for me to grow, because it's an opportunity to blend the analytical side and the creative side together. Um, I make images because it gets me outside, um, because I, I, it's such a magical thing to be out in nature and see these special moments. Um, I'm just trying to create photographs that mean something to me. And then I think there's sort of more to that is, is I, I hope in some little, little way that I can make the world just a little bit better than I came into it. And so if I can help just one person get outside, for example, like I feel with my photographs, I feel like that's a reason that I make images is to, to help others um, in their photographic journey. And, and the teaching for me is a big deal in, in doing that as well. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's just, I photograph because it means something to me, and I hope it means something to other people. Hmm. Matt, do you mind if I ask a follow-up question? So, so Char Charlotte, um, she said that she photographs because she has to, and and you know that resonated with me, right? So I I, I feel the same way. I'm I'm a bit obsessive. I, I really think I am. It's like, you know, there's a photo out there. I can tell, and I'm like a dog on a bone. You know, I'm I'm just after it. Um, and, and I guess I wanted to ask all of you, I mean, is, is that a common trait or do you put it down and just do, do nothing for a while? So mm. Co Colleen's shaking her head. I, I, don't get me wrong, I love photography. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't have to photograph. Um, I feel like there's so many different ways to um, be creative and, and express yourself creatively that I, I don't limit myself just to photography. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't feel compelled. I I get excited to do it, but um, there's just so many different things that I can do. The one thing that I am compelled to do, though, is constantly learn. Um, and that you know, I've talked with a number of folks in my workshops here, in my field sessions, and, and presentations about filling your brain with knowledge and ideas. So for me, it's not so much about clicking the shutter. It's about being outside. It's about learning about the world around me. It's about learning about my craft. It's learning about myself. It's learning about other people. It's about learning for me. And the and the photography sort of just comes with me. Um, to help me tell my story wherever I end up, whether it's on a river or a lake or whatnot. Um, it's just part of the journey, but I, I don't, you know, if I don't photograph for a month, it's, it's, that's fine with me. It's okay. Um, I have other ways that I can creatively express myself. So, yeah, I think it, it all works. Like, however you want to do it is great. It's interesting you asked that question because I can go two or three months without taking a photograph, and I'm f usually fine with that, but then it it kind of builds up and I'm like, I need to go take a photograph. That's, yeah. Um, so, and I don't know why it's not a everyday feeling for me, um, but I go in these kind of waves. Yeah, definitely for me it ebbs and flows, like the inspiration to shoot and the drive to get out and create. Um, I will go on a hiatus for one to three months sometimes, but I find that even when I'm not photographing, I'm still growing just by observing the world around me. And like when I'm not in photography mode, I still like most 
landscape photographers probably feel a compulsion to point out every time there's good light anywhere to whoever's with me. And uh, I'm still doing that. I'm observing light everywhere and finding compositions in my head, like seeing where the rectangle would line up to cut something out of the frame. But I think every time I come back to it, I find that I've got, I've kind of advanced my thinking in some way or another. And even though I haven't been photographing, I feel differently about some of the things that I was shooting before. And I feel like I've made it farther, which I think goes to show that it's not just the act of clicking the shutter, but there's something inside you that is driving your particular style and your preferences. And it's not just about photography. So I'm definitely in that vein. Like my visualization process is on 24 hours a day, seven days. Like, yeah, mm. I can't turn, I can't that, turn that off. Yeah, me neither. Okay. No, me either. That's, that's all. <laughs> Uh, so Charlotte, how? Well, it's, you know, I, I, I always joke that you have to be a little compulsive obsessive to be a photographer. And, you know, I, I joke about it because I don't really consider myself that way. But then if I really am honest with myself, maybe I am a little bit that way. And I definitely get antsy. You know, just ask my husband. I get definitely antsy if I'm not outside with a camera, you know, uh, about every week or so. I have to be doing something, and you know, and like I said, I'm I'm a creative person. I'm right now I'm doing landscape photography, but you know, when I was a musician, I was just as you know, you know, driven then, you know, to to create, because I think that at at the heart, I'm a creator. That's what I do. I'm a creator, and right now I'm creating photography, and right now I'm creating you know landscape work. And I don't know if I'll always be doing this. I might be doing something else, but that's what I'm doing right now. Um, so the, the creation process is enormously part of me. If I'm not creating, I'm not happy. And so if when I get antsy, I start cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and Gary gets fatter. <laughs> um, so I have lots of different outlets for this creation, but um, I'd like it to be photography because it's more locale. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, I have to thank you, Michael, because that's actually a perfect segue to my next question. What do you do when you're not taking photographs or making photographs, and how does that influence your photography? Well, so I, I spend a considerable amount of time writing. Um, I love writing books, blogs, any anything writing. And that def definitely the verbal communication, the visual language definitely matches and helps with visualization with the visual language um, with photography. Um, but beyond that, um, I actually love stand-up paddleboarding. Um, so I spend that's I spend a lot of time on rivers and lakes stand-up paddleboarding and that gets me to new locations that I'd never um, Ever be able to get to otherwise pretty remote locations um, The other maybe completely random thing that I do is I, I take adult ballet classes um, I just started point I started dancing on my toes uh, last January and that's a really interesting yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. Um, it has influenced my photography tremendously because I, I, I feel these motions. Um, I can see, you know, adagios in, in the ocean, for example, and I can see um, it, it. Adagio is a slow, deliberate movement of, of your arms and your legs, and so I, I see that when I look at water. Um, it's just a really 
kind of weird thing and I can hear classical music when I'm out in nature and so um, besides just being a really great you know exercise program besides running because I hate running um, it's it's a really great thing for it feeds my photography oddly enough so hmm. anyway Alex um, well I do have I play guitar I like music but I'm a complete amateur and I find that when I'm really into photography I actually don't play guitar anymore I feel like I have a limited amount of creative energy and I can't do both at the same time um, so when I got into photography I actually quit that for like seven years and only recently got back into it um, I read I actually have some interests that help support photography that are just I'll do them even if they're not related to photos uh, like I'll pour over topo maps and satellite images I'm just really interested in the earth and the geography and topography of it so I just like download these maps and just start pouring over like this really remote area I'm like this looks amazing like how did this form and then I start looking it up and I don't know I read um, I hike I socialize I, I I think photography is always there as some sort of driving factor like it's setting our travel schedule we live on the road full-time and uh, it's always kind of there now in my mind but um, I don't have to be doing it all the time. I have a lot of other hobbies, I guess. Charlotte or Michael? Um, I, I I think I'm a pretty <clears throat> uninteresting person outside of photography, frankly. Um, so, <laughs> well, I I don't know. What what else What else do I do? Um, Claudia probably could answer this question better than me. So, um, you know, aside from like the usual, just sort of uh, past passing the time, chilling out things like, you know, watching TV and reading. Um, I'm, I, I, I do just get interested in things and, and kind of explore them. Um, I'm, I, I, there was an interesting little parallel there with what Alex said because I'm, I'm a bit, uh, I, I really love weather and uh, just learning about weather and, and so forth. And so I'll just, kind of explore and go off on these things to, to, to learn more about that or, you know, kind of any subject that, that interests me. Um, I don't know. What else? Um, she's, she's looking at me. <laughs> oh, spending time with my wife, of course. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Ooh, close, close call. Yeah. Close call. You know, I, I told you I was obsessive, right? So, so my idea of a great vacation is going to a great spot to do photography. I love being behind the camera. Well, um, I hike and I, like I mentioned, cook and cook and <clears throat> and I like to write. I love to write and I write about photography <laughs> and uh, I write about lots of different things for myself and for other people to read. I think what's so. interesting about what you guys all said was this idea of kind of curiosity being curious about other things that help inform your creative process. Like I, I like to listen to other non-photography podcasts, you know, that are about psychology or marketing or business, and it just helps me think about the world differently. So, were you going to say something else, Colin? Yeah, it should be. I, I've noted that you sing as well. Ah, yeah. I haven't forgotten that. And by you, you mean you mean Charlotte? Charlotte, yes. Charlotte sings, yes. Because I don't. Uh, no, no, Charlotte. <laughs> She mentioned she sings. I'm not forgetting that. <laughs> A few more glasses of wine. It'll happen.
Well, only a, co only a couple more questions. Uh, what do you think the pros and cons of making photos alone versus in groups is? And I'm going to have Alex go. Um, well, I know that I make my best work alone all the time. It doesn't matter if my friends are there that I'm really comfortable with or if it's with um, students or, or just people that happen to be in the area hiking. I just find that no distraction is best. And to that point, I don't think I make good photos if I'm really tired, hungry, like if I've pushed myself too hard on a hike. I think that really getting in that creative Zen zone is about eliminating all distraction. It is meditative, like Michael said. So to that point, I get I do much better by myself. And I think in groups, you can certainly look to the other people you're photographing with and get inspiration or ideas. But then as far as just really dialing in a composition and making something as good as it can be, I feel like I do it best by myself. I, I, I do it all kinds of ways. I mean, I think uh, I certainly spend a lot of time out photographing with my wife, Claudia. We're, we're out together in lots of places. And, and you know, she's, she's not a distraction at all. Um, she's, she's uh, That's good to know. That came, that came out wrong. Yeah. Um, what I mean by that... <laughs> We've been, we've been doing this a long time. We, we've been doing this a long time. And even, even before she was really into photography, um, she was always very tolerant and patient with me. And she, you know, she would just take a book and you know, sit under a tree and read a book while I was doing my thing. And, and now she does a lot of photography on her own. Um, so we can go someplace and just you know, be happily out there. But, but like I think if I'm maybe photographing with somebody that I don't know very well, I might be more conscious of like what are they doing and what are they thinking and are they are are they do they want to go somewhere else or you know that kind of thing that's a little distracting. Um, whereas photographing with somebody that I'm you know kind of more used to being out with and photographing, it's less so. I, I'm not I'm not worried about them. And I can focus on what I'm doing. Um, so, but I, you know, I've made some photos that I really like with lots of people around. Um, so it can can happen either way. Hmm. Charlotte. Well, I think I, I agree with everything Michael said, actually, because you know, some of my favorite photographs have actually been made when people were around. You know, even in a group. But um, the experience of um, you know, contemplative photography somehow is more satisfying when I'm by myself. It's it, I feel like I'm more into it, that it's more purposeful, and that my compositions are maybe a little bit more meaningful. But that, but that said, you know, like I, I've been with big groups and gotten great work out of it, and I have fun with big groups. I really, I, even though I'm a bit of an introvert, I, I'm, I guess I'm a social introvert because I like being around people and then I, then I kind of want to dive into the cave and, you know, re, you know, recharge. But I, when I do my work with, within a group, it, it can be very, very distracting. Usually it's very distracting. It's not to say that it's impossible to create in that situation, but, um, you know, so at the end of the day, I think I do my best work alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, photography is a solo sport for me. Um, I, I think like it's already been mentioned, if I'm with other people, I generally feel like I have to 
like take care of them? Like, are they are they fed? Are they safe? Are they you know, uh, they're not falling off a cliff? Or you know, do they want to go photograph some something else? Do I you know, am I in their way? Like I get really self conscious, and so all of my creative energy is focused on the group. Um, I do have a handful of friends that I do go out with. We are all sort of this introverted solo types anyway. And so we we end up, you know, like camping together, but then like we disappear into our own little world where we can just create and just connect with the landscape in our own in our own way. And for me that's tremendously enjoyable. Um when it comes to the teaching, obviously, you know, groups for me are very um, exciting. I don't, I don't actually photograph when I'm in groups when I teach, um, mostly because all of my energy is going towards helping other people create their work, which for me is e just as exciting as me creating my own work. So when it comes to m me making my own images, it's definitely a solo endeavor, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm like the only extrovert landscape <laughs> photographer on the <laughs> planet Earth, but... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I actually really enjoy the, the experience of going out and photographing with like two or three other people um, just because I'm social and I love having conversations and, and I love bouncing ideas off of them and kind of seeing what they're up to and learning fr from them. For me, being in a, in a small group is the best way for me to improve my photography because I can see what other people are seeing and, and kind of you know grow as a photographer that way. But I feel like as a, all of you said, I make my best personal photography when I'm by myself. Um, so it's it's an interesting balance for me personally. Yeah. Well, just so the pro of going out with people is that it's fun, and the con is that your photo sucks. <laughs> Pretty so. much. Yeah. It's a balance. It's a balance. <laughs> yeah. Although if you're you like me, your photos boil it down to that. always suck. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, final question, uh, which hopefully will be of great benefit. And this was Charlotte's idea, and I think it's a really great one. Is um, what, what should the students do after this conference uh, to improve their photography? Like, what are some of the things they should do after we leave? This is a great question. You guys can help me write my presentation for tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Do, do you want me to take that? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yes, you do. Well, one thing I, I notice is that when it, a lot of times in these workshops, I've noticed that people haven't picked up their camera for months, and they're not familiar with it. It feels foreign in their hands. And so what I would recommend is just keep the camera in your hands, even if you're just going in your backyard and practicing on something small or a little scene. Just, just get it out and practice, because, and, get, and keep, keep the um, creative juices flowing. Because and then when you get out, you'll be you'll be ready. The camera will be familiar, and you won't be struggling with your gear. Um, because you want your gear to be second nature. You don't even want to think about your gear. Your gear is 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 just a tool. It's your eye that's the real talent. That's the talent. The camera is just the the thing that expresses what's going on, you know, in your head. So you don't want to think about your gear. And the only way to not think about your gear is to get really really familiar with it. Um, to the point that when you do finally get to Yosemite, you do get to get your camera out, that you, you don't have gear issues. Um, so things like, you know, you know, knowing, you know, reprogramming your buttons all of a sudden right before a big trip, you know, just don't do that, you know, don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, oh, sorry, I, I would just second everything that Charlotte said there, you know, the sooner, the sooner you pick up the camera after 
this event or any other workshop or, or something like that, the better. If you go a month without picking up the camera again, a lot of what you learned over the last few days is just gonna melt away. And so the sooner you pick up that camera, the more it'll stick. And Alex mentioned something, I might be stealing your thunder here, but you, Alex men mentioned something about how his, his brain is, is always on it. He's always seeing, he's always noticing light, he's always noticing compositions. And that's something you can do even if you don't have a camera in your hand. Um, sometimes I'll give people an exercise to, to look for patterns. You know, I think that's a good way to try train your brain to not only see pattern, patterns, but to sort of see design and see more abstractly in your compositions. And you can do that anywhere. You could be stuck in traffic and at a traffic light and you can say, how many patterns can I find around here? Um, so, so you can, you can kind of try to train your brain to, to get into that mode that I think we're all in, that we're always looking, we're always looking at light, we're always potentially looking for compositions. Can I throw in some science in that one to emphasize this point? Science us up. All right, so there's, um, there's been a bunch of research on this. Um, there's a specific study from the 1960s where they studied um, the impact of visualization um, essentially doing exactly what Michael was talking about, and, and Alex and, and Charlotte have talked about visualizing things all the time. Um, it was a basketball free throw study, and um, they tested three different groups. They tested all three groups on the first day, and then 20 days later they tested the three groups to see what their improvement was. So the first group did, uh, they actually physically touched the ball, they went into the gym, and they practiced free throws for 20 days straight. So every day they went into the gym, touched the ball, making, trying to make more free throws. The second group went into a gym and just visualized. They didn't touch a basketball at all. They just pictured it in their heads of how they would you know, practice, how they would actually make the free, hopefully they were visualizing making the free throw. And the last group did absolutely nothing. They didn't go into the gym. They didn't think about basketball at all. They went away. And so they tested these, these three groups 20 days later. And the first group had a 24% improvement. So if you practice with your, if your camera, for example, you're going to get better, right? Um, the last group who did nothing obviously got nothing. They found it was a 0% improvement. What was surprising to me is that that middle group that visualized had a 23% improvement, almost as good as practicing every single day. So it, that's, that's the impact of visualization. And so, you know, if you do, I love what Charlotte said about, about getting the camera in your hands and getting out there. Um, I held a corporate job for a long time, so I know life is going to happen. And so if you can't get the camera in your hands, at least visualize. Think about, if you're at the grocery store, how you would make an image of the lighting and the, and the composition, whatever you need to do um, to do that, because it's, visualization can really make a difference in your, in your practice. I think the only thing that I'd add to that is we've learned so many things here. There's so much inspiration. It can almost be overwhelming. So I would try to pick maybe one or two things that you really are excited about or you really um, just had never heard of before and practice that over and over and over and over that one or two things until it becomes second nature, until it becomes part of your arsenal. So, mm -hmm. You know, one more thing is, is we all have these cameras in our pockets, right, our phones. And, and I know people 
sort of make fun of all the people who take pictures of like their food when they go to restaurants and things. But, you know, just when you're out somewhere and you see something that catches your eye you know, and, and you have a moment, take out that that phone, that camera in your pocket and take a picture and that will keep your brain engaged with seeing and compo composing and looking for light. Just going back to Colleen's grocery store example, number one, the lighting in grocery stores is super sick. I love, I love fluorescent lighting. Uh, and number two, I really, the visualization for me is so hyperactive. Like when I go pick out fruit, the pattern of the fruit laid out, I'm just visualizing a rectangle totally. around it. And it's just, it's, it gets kind of annoying sometimes. But uh, more practically speaking, they've addressed um, uh, practicing and visualizing. Uh, one thing I wanted to address is that here you've learned from so many different instructors with so many different approaches. And that doesn't mean that any one of them is right. That's just what's worked for them. And I find that with students, they see maybe two completely conflicting ideas can both work. And what I'd encourage you to do is pick out the things that work for you and kind of blend influences and blend techniques and find something that works for you. Because the way that one person does it is not necessarily the right way. That's just their way. And so you can learn from everyone and take bits and pieces and make your own way. And keep doing that. Like, keep keep learning. Keep going out to these, like... Yeah, you're never yeah, done learning. just, you know, learn from everyone and anyone, you know, whether it's photography instructors or whatnot. Yeah, just keep, just keep learning. And the one thing I would add is, you know, find other photographers that inspire you and read their blog, you know, subscribe to their newsletter, look at their images... Subscribe, to, subscribe their to the podcast. You know, honestly, I think it's, um, I will be the first person to admit that since I started my podcast in April of 2017, that there's been a dramatic shift in my photography and the quality of my photography just by talking to other photographers every single week and picking their brains about how they do their craft and how they think about photography. It's helped me. So you can also do that as well. So. Yeah. Well, th thank you guys so much. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we hope to see you all at Out of Moab and Out of Acadia and uh, the uh, Botanical Gardens in Chicago. And uh, thank you for hanging out with us tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for this. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, thanks to Colleen, Charlotte, Michael, and Alex for the awesome discussion. Also, a huge thank you to the Out of Chicago team, including Chris Smith, Ann Belmont, Bob Wadja, Melinda Kavansky, and Leslie Ames for the opportunity to record the podcast in front of a live audience. It was a total blast. If you'd enjoyed this episode, you can join me on another all-star cast of incredible instructors at future Out of Chicago conferences this year. I will be at Out of Moab from September 13th through the 17th, which I think will be a lot of fun. I recently spent some time over in Canyonlands, and it is quite the experience. I will also be at Out of Acadia, which is in Maine, October 4th through the 8th, and I would love to see you there. I also have a special offer just for podcast fans. You can get $250 off your registration for either of those conferences by using the code PAYNE, that's P-A-Y-N-E, at checkout. But you have to hurry as these discounts expire on February 28th. 
Also, thank you so much to our incredible and amazing Patreon supporters for helping to keep the show alive. I cannot do the show without your support, so thank you so much. I wanted to thank Franca Gabler uh, for uh, joining us uh, by supporting the podcast through PayPal, which you can now do on the website for the podcast. And I wanted to thank Drew Harbaugh, who was at the conference, who just upped his pledge as well. Thanks so much, Drew. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, let's talk about who we have coming up on the podcast. So today I recorded a really fun one with Alex Burke. He is a large format film photographer from Greeley, Colorado. Um, Coming soon, we have J. Henry Fair. He was the winner of my Landscape Photography Conservation Award. Uh, We have Brenda Tharp. She is a photographer from Sonoma County, California. Uh, We have uh, Mei Zhu, a photographer also from Colorado who has some absolutely stunning work. We have Nikolai Alexander. He is an interior designer living in Denver, Colorado. And I'm hoping to pick his brain on what interior designers look for when partnering with landscape photographers. We also have uh, Jaron Schneider coming soon. He's a filmmaker working in the freelance world. We have Clay Bolt. He's a well-known conservation photographer. Uh, We also have John Barkley coming soon. He's a photographer who leads uh, really awesome workshops focused on mindfulness. And we have Christian Fletcher, a legendary photographer from Australia. Lastly, I am putting together a panel of all women photographers to talk about what their experience has been being a woman in landscape photography. I think that is going to be a lot of fun as well. All right. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.